0: Welcome to Her Journey podcast, where we talk with incredible, talented, and powerful women about their experiences. My name is Aline, and I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Dr. Tony Collis, the CEO of Collis Homes Innovations, award-winning leader and executive coach, international keynote speaker, and women's leadership expert. So yeah, first of all, I'd just love to have you talk a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Well, so I am a coach first and
1: foremost. Um, I absolutely adore helping women in tech thrive in their jobs. And I came to that because I was a woman in tech myself until I decided to become a coach full time. I'm a techie by training. I suppose I'm a techie at heart. I actually have real problems in my business of like delegating the techie stuff because it's what I spend the early part of my life doing. Uh, I fingers on keyboards. I was a programmer in supercomputing. Um, and I just I just thrive on that to some extent. But I really realized that what I love to do is help other women, etc. I really I believe I'm here to change the world, to put my stamp on the world. And the way I've realized for me to do that's most impactful is by assisting other women to have the impact that they desire on the world, give them the toolkit to be heard, give them the ability to stand up and get noticed so that we can actually do what we all need to do and make the human race in the world a better place to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So yeah, definitely seems like a lot of what you do revolves around tech and mentorship um, and really advocating for women and, Sort of starting off with tech, I would love to hear about kind of your own experiences in the tech industry that inspired you to first get more involved in it and really help other women aspiring to be a part of the industry as well. Mm.
1: Well, it's funny you asked that because I am an accidental I, I'm an accidental techie. <laughs> um, I I was a physicist. I, you know, that was when my degrees were in. And I, I did a PhD and it was during my PhD, I started to use supercomputers. And I thought, oh, gosh, this is actually kind of cool. <laughs> um, I actually did a master's in supercomputing at the same time as my PhD. Not something I'd recommend you do two degrees at once, not a good idea, um, but I did. And I realized at the end of my PhD that the thing I loved more than anything was not the physics, but the supercomputing that enabled me to do the physics. I still admire the physics, but I love the fact that supercomputers enabled physics to be done and so it was about the enablement and I think technology really is about enablement whether it's about the fact that we can do this recording at you know however many thousands of miles apart we are I'm in the UK (laughs) you're in the US and most of my clients are actually in the US in fact many of them are in California I can coach them because of technology isn't that extraordinary Mm -hmm. and so to me I, I fell in love with technology because of the enablement it provides and specifically supercomputing because of what it, what it does and what it provides us. So I was really thriving in terms of my why and I settled into a supercomputing center. Where I started my career and really enjoyed like my day to day. But then I realized I was ambitious. I wanted to take on more and I, I didn't have a job title but I started managing projects. So I wasn't a project manager but I had that responsibility. And I started taking more and more responsibilities. I started to do all the extra stuff. I think many of us do that, like all the extracurricular stuff at work, right? <laughs> Volunteering, I was sustainability officer, I was equality and diversity officer, all that sort of stuff. And I volunteered for all that. I realized like, that's, I just love doing all the things. Now that did actually cause me problems because I had a reputation for saying yes to everything and not getting the day job done. And that is something I now notice in many of us. It's very easy to be super excited and ambitious. And I I get so excited by pretty much everything I read or do or say, right? (laughs) I want these people, I can get interested in almost anything. And the danger there is that we don't do anything well. And that was definitely an issue for me. And that also coincided with me not actually enjoying my day job because I wasn't getting recognition. It's actually funny because just before we hit record, I was actually just giving a training to my community about how to get recognition at work and how to go from undervalued to noticed and being a trusted advisor mm-hmm. and I can tell you that the hard way is not to do what I do like <laughs> I I lost my reputation I lost my way a little bit because I would taken some advice and I had to say yes to everything worst piece of advice I've ever been given by the way <laughs> and I therefore said yes to everything especially because I get super excited and I didn't have the time to do anything well and ultimately I ended up taking on a lot of responsibility and not getting recognition for it drowning in work and nobody was there to help me figure that out nobody nobody said Tony we need to have a chat about this Mm -hmm. and so that was a big down but then then I realized what I love to do is solve problems. I am such a good problem solver. I think that's one of the things I'm really good at as a coach, is solving my client's problems, seeing what they are not seeing, and helping them figure out what they need to be doing. And I realized that was my my specialism. And so I actually very quickly turned my career around. And ultimately, I landed my first C-suite position, C-level executive in corporate supercomputing within seven years of finishing my PhD, because I specialized in solving problems for people and actually just having conversations about like, well, what are you struggling with? How can I help? And that is such a powerful way to go through life. So before I became a full-time coach, I was a C-level executive and I felt like, you know, I'd I'd done it. I'd got there. I'd got that mythical job that women in tech aspire to. And now I want to open the door for everyone.
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. And I definitely think you brought up some really great points and really great insight there. Um, I'm sure lots of high school students can also relate to that, you know, having to say yes to everything, taking on too much than they can handle. Um, So I think it's amazing that um, throughout this journey, you were able to kind of grow from that and kind of find this path on your own. I think that's super incredible. Mm. Um, And I actually noticed that one of the past projects that you were involved in that sort of involved this, uh, this kind of field of supercomputing uh, was women in high performance computing. Um, And I'm sure it kind of had a lot of value to your past and to your experiences. And so I think it'd be super cool to have you just talk a little bit about kind of how you first started it, how you grew it, um, challenges or situations that you tackled that you're especially proud of, or just the entire journey as a whole and how that kind of impacted Mm. you. I definitely
1: would say that um, women in high-performance computing is one of the most impactful things I've done at this point in my life, right? My mm-hmm. my coaching business is rapidly going to surpass it because, you know, I always take on big challenges and therefore <laughs> achieve good things. But, um, I, gosh, I, I never knew what I was sending out to achieve when I founded Women in HPC. Um, it was way, way back in 2013. I remember being at a conference for supercomputing um and we're talking about the next big thing called exascale no longer the next big thing it's now here and i remember being in a room of 300 people and looking around and thinking gosh there's only three women in the room there's me my boss who is on stage acting as chair for the session and one other woman." and i thought to myself are women just not interested in this how can they not be this is this is the thing that's going to change the way the human race solves problems. The reason, by the way, that we've been able to deal with COVID so well is actually because of supercomputers. It's been involved in everything from designing our vaccines all the way through to how we're modeling outbreaks and therefore how we need to control our behavior as a population. Supercomputers have been at the forefront of our fight against COVID. I mean, this is fundamental stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why are women not interested? <laughs> and it breaks my heart. And I, I went back to the office and I thought to myself, like, what's going on? Like as a physicist, there were so many programs for women in physics from like my earliest years, like being a teenager, women in physics, this, women in physics, that right. And I thought, you know, there's women in tech, women in tech is a big thing as we all know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but what about women in supercomputing? And nobody was talking about it. Now, supercomputing is this weird industry. It sort of sits, although it's technology in many respects, because of what it does, it sits across every other domain. Like I've worked with historians helping them map out actually how you know the slave trade happened using supercomputers and historical records it's been amazing um you work with chemists who design designer medicines my PhD was actually looking at amino acids which is a bridge between chemistry biology and physics right it's a fascinating place to be and it really supercomputing because of what it does sits across all of these specialisms but it's driven by technology and I think therefore it was sort of Falling between the cracks, there's women in this, that, and the other, but none of it applied. And so, I, because of the kind of person I am, I was like, "Fine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this." I had a chat with my um, director of the institute I was working for, and she was like, "Yes, let's do this." Um, and together, we co-founded Women HPC, which I then got to lead for seven years. Um, I only stepped down eighteen months ago from leading it, and I just had this opportunity to build something that I thought was going to be a little thing in Scotland, where I live. And it went global within a year. Uh, by the time I stepped down, we had members in 67 countries. I'd run a team of 60 volunteers. Volunteers are the hardest group to lead, by the way. I'm so. my view is if you can lead volunteers, you can lead anybody. And I just had, I was witness to a fundamental shift in how supercomputing viewed equity, diversity and inclusion. We went from it being a topic that was like uncomfortable for them to it being forefront of conferences, conferences and organizations, tracking their diversity metrics, actually building inclusivity initiatives. And I was witness to that. I, I wouldn't want to say it was all because of what we did and women in HPC, but I know we definitely drove the agenda and that was just extraordinary. And it's still going on. I might've stepped down, but it's still going and it has just created such an inc- amazing, incredible group of women. And the final thing I'd say about it is the other thing I realized was for the first time in my career, because I've been the only woman in the room since I was 16 years old. I was the first girl in my school to study electronics. I did maths and physics, which certainly I'm showing my age now, but back when I did them, we're not very popular with women at all, with girls. So I've been the only woman in the room for six, since I was 16, right? And... I remember walking to a room at a conference and being surrounded by women and thinking, gosh, this is different. I didn't know that I needed this, but this is different. And it really came home to me when my husband, who is the biggest advocate for the work I do, he is super supportive. He is a white man, but he is like the white man that we all need. He is that ally. Right. And he wanted to support me what I was doing, I was very nervous. So he came to one of my first events. We were at this big conference together and I was running a side event for women in HPC and he was also in supercomputing. So he was like, I'll come along, I'll support you. And we were both coming from different talks. So he actually arrived before I did. And he admitted to me afterwards, and he hates the fact I tell this story all the time, but like it's out there on the internet now. <laughs> but he walked into the room and he walked out again because he's never felt that uncomfortable as a as a white man. And and then, you know, he came back in when I turned up. Great. And I thought to myself, Gosh, yes. I remember when I was younger, walking into rooms and feeling constantly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And now it's just normal. And it wasn't until I walked into a room full of women that there was some sort of ease fell over me. And I thought, gosh, this is actually how it should feel. It's just that so much of my life, I've just been surrounded by men and it adds that discomfort. It's not that there's anything wrong with men. It's not, you know, that I'm married to one, <laughs> but there is some level of discomfort when we're not surrounded by people like us. It's why we, you know, diversity problems are an issue because we tend to want to surround ourselves with people like us, right? I also care passionately about diversity in general. And one of the issues is we are more likely to unconsciously surround ourselves with people that look like us. So white men hire white men with the same cultural background, with the same educational background. We know this is a problem. But actually what we want is everybody to feel like they belong, which means that it needs to be a certain minimum of every single diverse group in the organization needs to be represented in every single room. Because here's the other thing that's interesting is when you walk into a room and everybody is different, you feel less misplaced because you have that in common. It's when we're the only one that's different that it's awkward. So that to me was just such an incredible shift for me to experience and to understand about myself. Not all women feel that way. I've had this conversation so many times. Not everybody feels that way. Some feel very passionately that's not an issue for them. Great. I applaud you. Go off, change the world in your way. But for many of us, we do feel that differentiation. And if we can recognize this as a thing, we can give ourselves that support in other ways. So I create these women in tech communities. That is part of what I do to give women this connection that they otherwise don't have at work.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I Thank you so much for sharing. I think that's just an incredible venture that you pursued in the first place. I love the story behind it. I love that through it, you're able to make such a big impact um, and really see that impact unfold as well. So again, I think that's really incredible work you do. Um, And I love that right now, your focus is kind of acting as a consultant in high performance computing and as a coach for other women in the tech industry. Um, and that's most prominently, I believe, in Collis uh, Homes Innovations. And so could you tell me a little bit about that as well and sort of how and why you started and really grew the service and grew as a coach and mentor and how you became one? Yeah, so I started Collis Homes
1: Innovations actually with my husband. He's a, he's a co-director of the company, although he doesn't work in it now. <laughs> <laughs> I started it back in uh, actually November 2017, I think. And initially as a consultancy company, consulting in supercomputing, that was that was what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to just step away from the day-to-day work and just do that um, as, a, as a passion point. Because as I said, I'm, I, my my thing is I'm good at solving problems. So that's what I, I decided to do. And I realized during this time that with Women in HPC going on as a thing I did as a volunteer effort, what I really loved doing was the mentoring. And later what I realized is more than mentoring, I was actually coaching women And I was getting so much joy out of this. And I also have a passion for training. And so I did quite a lot of work in training and development as well. And I realized that I wanted to do this full time. This was, this was what I loved to do. So early 2019, I went all in on, I I let go of the day job and I went all in on coaching. I dropped the consultancy. I still offer a consultancy, actually mainly primarily now diversity consultancy. I do some small projects for tech companies and supercomputing companies around improving their diversity and inclusion. But I basically made, challenged myself actually to replace my corporate income in three months, which I did. <laughs> Not a normal thing to do, I right know, but I did. And I just, I just built something I love. My operating procedure has been do something you love every single day that's driving towards the vision that you're excited about. Don't get me wrong, I do things that I don't love every day. And as I've made more money, I've been able to hire a team to offload more of the things I don't love doing. But my fundamental driving mission here is do what I love. And while I'm doing it, change the world. And I have such a strong why, which I would say to everybody, whatever you're doing in life, have a strong why. So early on in my super career, it was about enabling others to use supercomputing. That then transitioned to enabling others to be able to do supercomputing, to have an impact on the world and make sure it's fully available to everyone because there was that inclusion aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. But with my coaching, it's my my really strong why is, I want to change the face of the tech industry, not just for me, not just for women, but because the human race desperately needs a more diverse approach to technology. We cannot afford as a human species anymore to only have men designing products for us, to have men making technological solutions to climate change. We, we just cannot afford for that to be true anymore. And so I view my role in life is to help more women have that seat at the table who are capable of so much more technologically than I am, but I can open the door for them so that they can make the change that they need to make on the world. And that is so fundamental to who I am and what I now do. And... The last few years have been such an incredible journey. I'm, later this year, I will have my three-year anniversary of being a full-time coach. <laughs> and I i have never felt this aligned with what I do or excited by what's to come. I have a full 10-year vision mapped out. I don't think I'm ever going to be done with this stuff. It's so damn exciting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that this is so incredible what you're doing. And I love the way you put everything as well. Um, I definitely think you're making a difference in so many women's lives and I, I'm actually really excited for you for the vision that you have. Um, and I know that, again, mentoring is a very large portion of what you do and it's a big part of your life. And so do you have any stories or any moments that you'd like to share in mentoring one of these women that is just an absolute favorite or has really spoke to you as something that made you realize that you were really making a difference in someone else's life? So this is a
1: tricky one because, I mean, one of the things I'm very picky about is the women I work with, I adore every single one of them. So I was like, oh gosh, how do I answer this question? Because generally I could say all of them. Um, mm-hmm. Probably top of mind right now is coaching a couple of women. They've actually worked with me almost since the beginning of my business. Um, so they've all, they've been with me for nearly, they're coming up to like two and a half or three years working with me. Mm-hmm. And for, for both of these women that I'm thinking of, they've taken their time. Now, a lot of women will come to work with me for six months. That's typically how long initial contract with me is. Um, and they'll come and work with me for six months to like land a new role or to really work on a particular area of their leadership capabilities and really hone and refine it. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I love working with them and we have very rapid results. But with these two particular women, where they stand out is they've they've had a lot of other things to sort out first, mm-hmm. and it's been that true slow and steady wins the race. They've done a lot of the mindset, that resilience work, understanding who they are, what drives them, what lights them up, so they can finally land roles they love. And they've both recently got into roles that are new and exciting, and I can just see them blooming. It's I get to witness women becoming themselves in a way that you know a lot of a lot of our lives is about being somebody else is conforming even though we don't know it we're people pleasers society tells us to keep other people happy as women we're there to make everybody else smile right Mm -hmm. and these women are finally learning how to let go of all that and be themselves and it's it's slow and steady wins the race but it's extraordinary because i know these women so well they've done the groundwork and now it's just accelerating from here on out and to be part of that to be witness to it to have had even just some small measure of impact on them is such your privilege and I just it, it just lights me up I mean don't get me wrong I love the conversations I have with all of my clients I could pick a particular conversation but like oh my gosh I love those kind of conversations but watching these two women bloom has just been extraordinary
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And I know that, you know, mentoring women, it, it can often be a long process. It requires a lot of patience. You don't always get results instantly. And so I think that definitely it, it's a beautiful thing to be able to see um, the people that you mentor slowly bloom. And I mm-hmm. think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And in starting these ventures, working in tech and being a consultant and coach, um. I definitely know that also the process for yourself isn't always easy and isn't always simple. And so have you come across any specific challenges that you're especially proud of overcoming or there just have been especially different uh, or difficult for you?
1: Yeah, I'd have to say this is probably one that's not unusual to many of us as women, but learning to say no and being okay with that is a biggie for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I am definitely a people pleaser at heart. Um, I experience imposter syndrome almost every day, even today. I have a toolkit now to help me get through it. And certainly I would say that that toolkit is something we should all have. And I'm just going to tell you up front here, I have a free training on imposter syndrome because I think it's something that we all need to tackle. So if anybody wants to check that out, um, you, go and access it for free immediately. You do not have to do anything. So tonycollis.com forward DTSD for a ditch the self-doubt. Get yourself a toolkit, my love, if you're listening to this <laughs> <laughs> and you've experienced imposter syndrome, but my imposter syndrome really manifested in having to say yes to everybody, even though I felt out of control, out of depth, didn't have time. I was over-promising and under-delivering almost all the time. Um, And so I dealt with that in my professional life before I started my own business quite well. It took me years, but it was actually then what propelled me into the corporate C-suite. Actually, funnily enough, it was running women in HPC that meant I had to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. I always had people wanting everything from me for free. And this was a side thing. It was a hobby. I wasn't paid to do it. Yes, my organization approved of it and gave me a tiny bit of time but I spent probably 50 hours a week in addition to my day job running it my weekends my evenings everything was about women in HPC Mm -hmm. (laughs) and people wanted to just wanted more and more and more I wouldn't say they were deliberately taking advantage of me I don't think it was (laughs) malicious but they all wanted my personal insights on why they weren't recruiting women or why they were losing women or how to do unconscious bias training, or can you come and just do this webinar for us and all this? And I was like, oh my goodness! So I had to learn how to say no because it wasn't about me; it was about delivering on the promise of Women in HPC. I realised I was able to step back and say, "Well, if I give in to everybody, Women in HPC is not going to achieve its mission." And that was like light bulb for me. I was like, "Oh." It's not about me, <laughs> and when I was able to then translate that into everything else I do, like in my day job, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It it was so eye opening. Um, it did reoccur when I started my business. Like when you start a business, you want to please everybody, you want everybody to pay you. You're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make money this month? And so I said yes to doing things that I didn't actually love doing. And I have my own coach because um, you can't coach yourself, by the way. <laughs> And she called me out and she was like, Tony, you're doing stuff that doesn't light you up. Why are you saying yes to this? I'm like, I need the money. She was like, right now you're stopping yourself making money doing what you love because you're doing things that you don't love. And she hit the nail on the head. So I had to relearn to say no again at that point. But it was easier because, again, I looked at the mission of my business. I said, is this aligned with my business vision? And it often wasn't. They were asking me to do consultancy in an area I wasn't interested in or coach a group of people that quite frankly didn't align with my goals or they didn't light me up. And I've let clients go because I don't love working with them because if I don't love working with you, you probably actually need a better coach who is a better fit for you because you probably don't actually know what's possible for that coaching relationship. I say to everybody that comes and talks to me about coaching, go and talk to three other coaches. Then come back to me if I'm the one. (laughs) come back to me when you know I we have the chemistry because that's what's really going to make the difference so in summary learning to say no is my both my most difficult challenge but also the thing I'm most proud of overcoming because it has been such a journey for me
0: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I I think that you know, learning to say no and learning that you don't have to please everyone is definitely something really important, especially for women to understand. Um, So I love that you were able to kind of touch on that and your own experiences with that as well. Um, And yeah, definitely something that the audience can learn from. I I feel like your experience are definitely um, something that people can relate to. Um, And you mentioned before that you have this incredible vision for the future Um, and that you kind of have things outlined and you have a few plans and goals in mind and so I would love to have you uh, share some of these plans and some of these goals that you have whether that's for your personal projects or also just for yourself in general.
1: So I have a personal goal um, for my business of assisting 2,000 women into leadership roles by 2025. Mm -hmm. Like it's very specific with my goals so and I tell everybody to do that like Get very specific. So it's 2,000 women by 2025 into some form of leadership role. Mm-hmm. Um, I am on track for that. Uh, and it really, you know, this year it's about consolidating. I have all the pieces in my business already. That was what last year was about, was building up all those pieces. And this year it's about consolidation and figuring out how we're going to scale it. So it's quite it's super exciting. Um, but I I mean, I have so many big visions and goals. That's like, that's the first one. Uh, I really ultimately want to change the way the world of tech is done I want to change the way leadership's done I talk about the female model of leadership which is kind of based on my experience and reading a lot about leadership and realizing that what we do as women is fundamentally different to men but actually what I've realized when I talk to men about it they like it too so actually what I want to do is change the way that the tech industry actually all industries (laughs) let's start with technology (laughs) I want to change the way we lead and manage and run organizations and solve problems and work together because there's a better way than what is this, the kind of common way right now. That's my big, big golden life. On a personal viewpoint, my goal for the next 10 years, I say 10 because I would like to do it sooner, but I don't think it's going to be possible with all of the business goals I have. I really want to build an eco house just to be a bit different. I want to build my dream eco house um, somewhere in Scotland. I am I'm a Scot. And I love living here and I just, I want to build an eco house because that's my thing for the planet. And I just, it just fills me with joy thinking about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, incredible. I think that all sounds very, very exciting and I absolutely cannot wait to see what you continue to do. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, And I guess just to wrap up the episode, what are some last pieces of advice you might have for just those young women out there aspiring to also become leaders in the tech industry? I think I would probably say I have three top things that
1: I say to everybody. First of all, make sure you work on your resilience every single day. Our resiliency, our bounce back ability, like it doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt, but it's about how fast you bounce back. That is something we can learn, we can develop, we can hone, we can improve and you are going to need it if you want to thrive. The high performing leaders are actually quite happy because they've worked on their resilience and they bounce back very quickly. So, Work on your resilience every single day. The second one is focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> um, I came across this analogy recently about you. even if you own multiple cars, you can only drive one car at a time, right? So if you have four cars and you want to drive them all the time, what you do is you get in one, you drive it five meters, five yards, you get out, you run back to the next one, drive that one. You spend all your time hopping between cars worse yet what if you want to drive one north and one south they're completely opposite directions it's just not gonna work focus on one thing at a time you might have other things you care about but one thing at a time and you will win the race yeah. and then my third and final one is get support earlier than you think you need it the as soon as I started investing in support and investment I don't just mean money yes I have a coach that I pay for don't get me wrong that's that is going to accelerate everything the earlier you can invest in the coach the better but investing in relationships investing in mentoring relationships I had some amazing mentors and I gave back to them as much as they gave to me. Invest in that support earlier than you think you need it. get uncomfortable with how much time and money you give to your support because you are going to grow faster. I often say to my clients, if you're not uncomfortable with how much this costs, you're not going to take it seriously. (laughs) It seems a bit extreme, but they do take it very seriously and they grow so, so fast. I've had people come and work with me who, I would say about 20% of my clients It's paid for by their corporation rather than themselves. And they don't take it as seriously if I'm completely honest. Mm -hmm. So I I like people, even if their corporation is paying for some of it, for them to put something in. Right? What are they giving? Maybe it's that they have to give their boss something. Maybe they have to write a report at the end of it, but they take themselves more seriously. Get uncomfortable with investing in yourself and the support you need, whether it's training, education, and mentoring, giving back, whatever it is, get uncomfortable because you are going to go further, faster, and you'll be happier as a result.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful advice. And you gave a lot of really incredible insight and advice throughout the recording. Uh, as well. So I am so thankful for that. Um, And yes, are there any platforms, social media, websites, anything you'd like to shout out before we completely end the episode?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Tony Collis, or one word, if you type that in at the end of your URL, you'll find me. (laughs) Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, but they're a bit a bit harder to find there. But the main place I'm on is LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anybody. Also, feel free to hop on over to TonyCollis. Com, which is my website. You can find out all about what I do there, including my academy, which is great if you are entering into your first role as a leader or you're aspiring to be a leader. You can join the academy and get all the help you
0: might want in developing that way. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much again for being a guest today and for talking about this incredible work you've been doing. I've absolutely loved hearing about all your insight and advice. So thank you so much. It's been an
1: absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Aline. (music)